Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Well, I invite you this morning, let's go together in our Bibles. We're going to go to Philippians. We are in the fourth chapter. Philippians chapter 4 title of today's message, Called to Rejoice. And I'm just wondering if you had any situations maybe this past week that might have involved some difficult people. <laughs> maybe the difficult person was you. You're like, oh man, my wife sure had some difficult, well, a difficult husband this week. That's what she had. Do we know what lies in front of us this coming week? What people we might encounter on the road or Maybe as neighbors or co-workers or maybe you're in customer service and someone comes in and they're not too happy about the service they received or whatever it might be. Do we know what situations, what phone calls we might receive this week that we aren't expecting right here as we sit here today? Do we, do we know what headlines might break this week that we aren't quite ready for here as we are gathered this morning? The Philippian church received this letter from the Apostle Paul and his desire for them was that they would work out the conflict that they were in the middle of and that they would enjoy life together. Now when this letter was being read in that church in Philippi, the temperature was probably elevating in the room and a couple of ladies might have started doing the little fanning, you know, as it's getting warmer until their names are read. And they're like, oh, man, t- you know, turn on some, we need some open windows. We need, this is, this is hot. Today's message is going to be laid out a little differently because there's four precepts and there's two promises that Paul gives here. How do we live Christ-centered, Christ-centered lives and maybe... As a child, you were taught what I was taught. What is, the, what is the key to joy? Jesus, others, you. <laughs> Pretty basic. And I forget it quite quickly and quite often. And then wonder, where's my joy? Who's first? Who's sitting on the throne of my life? Oh, there I am again. That living sacrifice crawling off the altar all the time. The Philippian church was guilty of forgetting the most important person and the most important event that has happened and will happen. The cross, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, and the coming of Christ. They were forgetting that. They were not waiting ready for the Lord to return. But instead, there was for sure two ladies that were waiting for the other lady to come make it right with them. Their joy was resting in someone else's dealing with the dysfunction. They were more interested in what is very popular in the day and age we live in, me church. And if that church doesn't have the kids program, the youth program that I want, then I'll go find the church that does. If that church has a, oh, you know, do you see their parking lot? Wow, that's a church. You know, their band, their thing, their whatever. 
It's me, church. We live in that society. We don't understand what it is, or many people don't, what it is to dwell with the people that you get to know and you learn about their strengths and you learn about their weaknesses and you learn as you go through the blessings, the high times, the low times of life, these people love me and I love them. And we're going to face whatever comes from the sovereign hand of our king. We're going to face it together until he returns or we are moved to the south or to the north or wherever and we find a place to fellowship with like-minded believers and we will grow together in grace. That's what Paul's desire was for this church. Philippians chapter four, we're gonna pick up from where last week, verse one, therefore. Okay, so the whole point, everything he's written in this letter, therefore my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together, with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. So what does a Christ-centered life look like? What does a Christ-centered life look like? When we live Christ-centered lives, then we will be known by joy. Joy that abounds, if you will, an uncommon joy. This is what, this is what Paul is concerned about. It's the joy they experienced in the early church. And so the first precept that he gives as he's doesn't this strike you as odd that he's coming out of the meeting? Like he's coming out of the point of, <laughs> ladies, you have to work it out. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. This is the first precept. And in case you missed it, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. I think he wrote that for the men. Right? You have to be reminded often. Rejoice in the Lord always. Most time, ladies will be like, I got it. What do he say? <laughs> and again, I will say rejoice. Christians who are living Christ-centered lives will be known by their joy. And this isn't a joy that we drum up. It's not a joy that we fake. It's not a, a fakeness that when things are going wrong, we say, praise the Lord with this cheesy smile and these, you know, loose change Christian-type churchy words that are meaningless, disconnected from deep grief, pain, sorrow, loss, concern. So he's going to handle this in, in this section. What is it to rejoice? When he uses this word rejoice, he's talking about a gladness, that we choose joy and we will not surrender our joy to our feelings or to situations. 
We will not surrender our joy to circumstances or people around us, but we will hear this command, rejoice in the Lord always. Gordon Fee says it this way. He says, joy unmitigated, untrammeled joy is, or at least should be, the distinctive mark of the believer in Christ Jesus. Now listen to this. Stephen and I went down to uh, South Bend, Indiana. I've never been there before. We gathered with uh, some other pastors and or I, didn't, I said Stephen, I met Ethan, and some worship leaders. Stephen, Stephen's like, I didn't go. What are we talking about? <laughs> we stopped by Notre Dame. Never been there. We went through the campus of Notre Dame. Listen to this comment right here. The wearing of black and the long face which so often came to typify some later expressions of Christian piety are totally foreign to the Pauline version. The idea of Christians being somber and down and solemn and that's not this. That's not scripture. That's something else trying to manifest, I'm taking things seriously. Loved ones, we're commanded to rejoice so we can choose joy in the face of the greatest trials and difficulties. We're commanded to choose joy. And who led us in this? Our master did. Jesus led us in this. Matthew 5, 12, he says, rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Do you hear what he's saying? We're not waiting for persecution to stop, and then I can rejoice. He's saying, hey, look at your life in light of history and redemptive history. You can rejoice. You should rejoice and be glad. There's a gladness here. Listen to Paul's example. We studied this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. He said, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Well, that's great, Paul. Wonderful. Hey, hey, hey. Likewise, join me. You hear him say it? You also should be glad and rejoice with me. Don't sit on the sidelines like, we're, we're praying for you, Brother Paul. You know, go, go, Paul, yeah. He says, hey, get in the game with me. Don't miss this. You have one life. Don't miss it. Don't waste it. Waiting for that next thing, that next event, circumstance, change in relationship, promotion, whatever it be, then I'll be. Re no. It will always elude you like a mirage in the desert. Rejoice, but then he gives a qualifier here, rejoice in the Lord. So again, it's rejoice as Christians should. We cannot always, aren't you thankful that he doesn't command us to rejoice for everything? Rejoice in everything? No, he says rejoice in the Lord because we're not always rejoicing for all of our circumstances, but we can always rejoice in the Lord no matter what situation we find ourselves in. And I know sitting in this room, in the last year, two years, many of you have gone through great difficulty, great challenges. And as you look back over this and you, you say, yeah, but 
the Lord has given me joy. And it wasn't cheap and it wasn't f- just frivolous. It was true abiding joy. And I was able to grow in trusting him through whatever it was that you faced. Because God is good. He's faithful, he's kind, he's true. And what do we have to do? We have to preach that to our wandering hearts. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love, yep. Take my heart, take and seal it. Seal it for that court's above, right? Ken Rudolph has a message on this, Romans 5. And I was really, early in the week when, I, when, this, son, when this message was coming, I was, you know, like, that was great. Ken's, Rudolph, Ken's message from Romans 5, he, he's like, rejoice in the Lord, trials and suffering, you know. And then he said he backed into, as a, as a pastor, he backed into a garage door. He just took the whole garage door down, messed up his car, and he's like, rejoice, you know, and he's like, oh, I just backed into my garage door, rejoice, you know, and early in the week, I was thinking, that's great, and then a day happened when I had it all, like, okay, I've got, we're going out of town, Ethan and I are going, and I've got, you know, and then a car gets locked up, and he can't get into it, we get in one vehicle, and it's like the whole day, and it's one of those Murphy's Laws day, when it can go wrong, it will, and I finally got to the office, you know, the day is ticking away, and, I, and it was kind of funny because uh, Nicole and Stephen were talking at the, at the, I said, leave me alone, I've got to go prepare a message, I'm rejoicing, and I walked right in the middle of their conversation and shut the door, you know, and, and <laughs> oh, that's why Paul has to say always and then repeat. I'm like, boy, this is great, great sermon material coming my way, Right? Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures, and how long will those pleasures last? Forevermore. There's no other pleasure that will last forever. But this pleasure, forevermore. And so Paul is saying basically here to the Philippians, the same thing, you know, it says, uh, wash, rinse, repeat. You know, rejoice, experience life, repeat. Rejoice, go back to the beginning. Rejoice always, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, take it from the top, rejoice in the Lord always. Philippians 2 and verse 2, Paul says, complete my joy. He said this early in the letter. I want you to be of the same mind. Family. Can you hear Isaac Shaw saying that? Family. <laughs> Having the same love. Being in full accord and of one mind. That's what Paul is saying to them. The second precept he comes to is be gracious with the people that you really like. My bad. Everyone. Not just your favorites. Be gracious with everyone. Let your reasonableness and we may have different Bibles. If you have different translations, there's going to be several different words used in the translation of this word. It's one of those words that from Greek to English is very hard to sum up in one word. But the word to be gracious is another way. Graciousness, reasonableness, 
gentleness, moderation. How gracious are we? How reasonable are we? We're to hold and stand for biblical convictions, and we're to stand firmly. But we're to use and be reasonable. We're to be gentle with everyone. That's, this is not weakness. There was a time when Jesus made a whip, and he was being gracious. He was responding to abusive people who were abusing people in the name of God in the house of God. His response was in kind. It was appropriate. It was reasonable. Jesus, he ministered to children. He ministered to the sick, to the confused like Nicodemus, though educated. He ministered to the weak. He ministered to the broken down in sin like the woman caught in adultery, like the woman at the well. He was reasonable. He was gracious with them. Oh, my sin is great, but his grace is greater. Shame, he met with people and he met them in their shame and he didn't expect them to get it all together and then we can go from there. He met them, he'll meet you where you are and he will come if you will allow him to and take up residence in your life and he will change you from the inside out. And he says, let your moderation be known to all men, to everyone, not just the people that we like, not just to the people that have our same personality. Wouldn't that be great if we just worked with people that were all like us? Some of you out there, you're always late and you'll get around to do it and, and you pull it off. Whatever the project is, you're like, yeah, I got it. And all the other people like me are like, yeah, but we didn't plan enough ahead. It wasn't done on time. We didn't know the plan. It wasn't, you know, uh, for Nicole, it wasn't on a sticky note or a clipboard, you know, or, or whatever it might be. And yet we have to work together and let your moderation, let your reasonableness, your graciousness be known to all men. And isn't it beautiful how the Lord works that all out and doesn't just give us more of me? How many times, you know, in our own marriage and I've talked with other people like, ah, she's just so different from me. Really? Really? <laughs> We're not just talking about anatomy here, right? We're so different. We don't think anything alike, you know, uh-huh. And the, the uh, little guy, the study guy that we go through for premarital counseling says, maybe if that person, they, I just love them. They make me laugh. I enjoy being with, maybe, maybe you just want more of you. Red flag, danger. When God gives us someone that is so different and we learn to grow in our graciousness and be reasonable, then we become more like Christ. And we begin to value, I know this is what the Lord has done for me, to value the strengths that my wife has that I don't have. And it becomes enriching to those relationships instead of if everybody will just be like me. Yeah, how boring that would be. Trust me, it would be boring. Matthew 11, 29, Jesus says it this way. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am the king of the universe. Well, that's true. That's not what he says. I am gentle and lowly in heart. You know what he has for you? What no one else can have for you. 
Rest for your souls. Paul says to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, for the servant of the Lord, he said, and the Lord's servant, verse 24, must not be quarrelsome, but kind, gracious, gentle to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Timothy, don't get so preoccupied that they are not listening to you. They're not doing what you are saying to do. They're not listening to the word, Paul. They're not listening to me. I told them what you said. Hey, be gentle with them. Speak the word to them. They're trapped. Have pity on them. Be kind with them. Be patient with them that they may come to the sense they've been taken captive. You're not going to win that battle by just being mean. 1 Peter 3.15, Peter says, okay, you're going to go out and you're going to tell people about Jesus. You're going to share your faith. Okay, be ready in your hearts. Here's where it begins. Honor Christ the Lord is holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. But hey, listen to this. Listen now. Do it with gentleness and respect. Don't be disrespectful to people that you disagree with. Oh, that's a lesson. I'm, I'm still learning that one. When you disagree with someone, show them respect. That's missing in our day, isn't it? Shout louder, make bigger banners, make more marches. And we don't know how to talk to somebody that we disagree with. Well, as Christians, we're commanded here. It's a precept. And then the question that would come out of these two precepts, you know, uh, well, if I'm going to be gracious with everyone, if I'm supposed to rejoice in the Lord always, why? Why, Paul? Why would we do this? Well, then let me, let me sneak in here a promise for you. And the promise is this, the Lord is near. Here's our first promise, the Lord is near. We just sang it, you're here with me. I'm not good enough. I don't measure up. But when I realize the truth and the reality, the Lord is near well, that makes everything okay. The nearness of Christ is a supreme motivator for our joy and gentleness, our graciousness. Now, there's really two possible options that Paul is dealing with here. When he talks about the Lord is at hand, uh, we watch for, on one hand, the return of Jesus. And so Paul could have in mind here that, hey, listen, Jesus is returning. So Ladies, you're at, at odds with each other. You're disagreeing. You're not working it out. And the Lord, you could be standing before him any moment now. Is it really worth it? Is it really that big of, the, a, big of deal? Are you making a mountain out of a molehill? Well, Paul knew that Christ could return any moment. And with that comes two perspectives, the judgment of the wicked but also the deliverance of the righteous. So the Lord's returning for those who are not ready. There's, there's fear that comes with that. That's, I'm not ready for that. That's a little intimidating and even scary. But to someone who knows the Lord, his wrath was poured out on Jesus for me, and he's coming, it's all gone, and I can't wait to see him and be face-to-face -face with him. I'll be delivered from this body of sin. Luke 21 and verse 28, Jesus said, now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, 
raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Everybody else, run for the hills, you know? Like, let's, let's all hunker down and let's, oh no, don't do that. Jesus is saying, hey, hey, straighten up. Get your head up. When you start hearing the world is going chaotic, crazy, and they would have said, oh yeah, it's going crazy. Yeah, it's welcome to 2023, right? Don't fear, don't panic, don't lose it. Lift your head up. Your redemption is drawing near. Well, that'll encourage you. John 14, 3, Jesus said, and if I go to prepare a place for you, hey, listen, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, this is what I want to, I want to be with you forever. I want to be with you. I want to be near you. And in Revelation 1, 8, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And the, the Bible ends with Revelation twenty two twenty. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. And John says, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. This world is messed up. First century. This world is a mess. I don't think it can get any worse than this, you know. Like, well, yeah, I'm coming soon. Now, that could be. And when I started studying, I was thinking, you know, everything is leveraged, and Paul is taking this church, and he's, he's moving them to the Lord is returning. But that may not be exactly what Paul has in mind. It may be something a little more tender than that, and that the Lord is near, the Lord is at hand his presence, that he's right here. He promised to be right here with us until the end, that he's present. When the church is gathered, he's here. He is with us. So what is it then that we can't get over from our past or work out when we remember the Lord is right here and we're aware of that? The Lord is, I have the Lord. He's right here with me. Maybe you have a pet or maybe you've watched a child or you have a child and they start to walk, you know, and they, they get the, that, that, that little teeter-tottering, like, you know, wobbly walk. And then they start to venture out on their own. And what, do you, you know what I'm talking about? And then all of a sudden they, they realize, like, am I alone? Am I by myself? And they're, on, you know, they're in the middle of the living room. There's nothing around. And they look around and what are they looking for? Where's mom? Where's dad? Where's somebody? Like, and they're right there. Ethan and I were in a coffee shop uh, down there in South Bend. There was a mom and a dad and this little baby that was just trying out the, the, the walking thing. Had a little toy running around. And, and then, the, you know, the little, little guy's about this big. Mom and dad are sitting down in the coffee shop. And this little guy, like, looking around, sees us, you know, like, you know, this is exciting, strangers. And then and you could see the terror, like, I don't know them. You know, like, I don't know. Are they vetted? And then what does that little child do? He's, like, looking around, like, oh, my dad is right here. Doesn't that change everything? Do you hear that Paul really hasn't gotten up off his knee yet pleading with these ladies? He's not saying, and the Lord is near. You know. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh, me too, me too. Oh, let's shake and oh, that was close. It's more like that little child that's just so scared. And you're like, you're right here, and there's your dad, and there's your mom. It's all good. <sighs> that's what Paul has in mind here. The Lord is present with us, and we go through all of these 
movements in life and our health falls apart and all these things happen, relationships, and we need this promise. The Lord is near. He's not forsaken us. Psalm 34, 18, this is in Old Testament too. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Matthew 28, 20, the promise before he ascended, lo, I am with you. How long? Always. To the end of the age. I'm with you, I'm near. So why would we be gracious with everyone and why would we rejoice always? Because the Lord is, oh, right here. And don't you sometimes, a lot of times, feel like that little kid in the coffee shop? Like, <laughs> I don't know how to handle this, so I don't know what's going on here. And the Lord is like, I'm right here. I'm right here. Matter of fact, by his spirit, he lives, he dwells in us. That's pretty near. <laughs> and if we hear that in a way like, oh no, the Lord, he, like, he sees everything. Yeah, he does. And he loves you. Tim Keller says it this way. He sees us to the bottom and he loves us to the skies. If he loves me and knows everything about me, then who am I, who am I intimidated by? What Vody Bauckham says, I can guarantee you the worst thing you know about me isn't the worst thing. And he knows the worst thing about me and he chooses to love me. And his love is changing me. And if you are in him, he's changing you. All right, third precept then. Verse six. Here we go. Could be a whole series in and of itself, right? For all of those here that struggle with anxiety, here you go. You're welcome. Do not be anxious about anything. There you go. Write that down. Do not be anxious about anything. Oh, no. Overcoming fear and anxiety is a reality of our discipleship and sanctification. It's what God is doing. This is a negative precept. It's a negative command here. Do not be anxious. What does that word mean? Do not be, and it's the idea of being weighed down by cares, by thoughts, worries, fears, concern. It's a person who is like, like, like burdened. Their, their mind is just so going and whatever it might be, they're weighed down. So Paul is writing to them, don't, don't be anxious about anything. He wants the people of God to, to, don't be enslaved to the cares and concerns of this life. It's repeated in instruction. I think 365 do not fear in the Bible. 365 times. This weight, this anxiety, it's been... Do you love the sound of the alarm clock? Whatever alarm you use to wake yourself up in the morning. Do you love that sound? I hate that sound. Okay, some have compared anxiety to carrying your alarm clock around through the day and, and it just keeps going off all day. That whatever that sound is that you wake up to, that you like, the day is beginning. That anxiety is like that sound in your life nonstop weighing you down. It's weighty. How does your anxiety affect you and how does your anxiety affect those around you? But when Jesus is near, how does that change us? 
How does that grow us? And ultimately, I know that we will have cares in this life that will not be resolved in this life. But this life is valuable. This life is precious. And God loves you even when you're weighed down with anxiety and cares. But we have to just remember this message and preach this to our heart that the Lord is right. I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm right here with you. I haven't left you. I'm right here. Martin Luther had a favorite preacher. I was like, ooh, I got to find out who's Martin Luther's favorite preacher. You probably have this preacher right outside your house. He said, it's the robin. Listen to what he says. I have one preacher that I love better than any other. It is my little tame robin who preaches to me daily. I put his crumbs upon the windowsill, especially at night. He hops onto the sill when he wants his supply. He takes as much as he desires to satisfy his need. From there, he always hops to a little tree close by and lifts up his voice to God and sings his carol of praise and gratitude, tucks his little head under his wing, and goes fast asleep to leave tomorrow to look after itself. He is the best preacher I have on earth. Yeah, I was looking out my office yesterday. There's a robin right out there, like, preaching. What does Jesus say? Why does Martin Luther compare this to a preacher? Because he reminded of the greatest preacher who said, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than the little preacher robins? And he takes care of them. But he didn't die for them. He died for you, and he feeds all of them every day, everywhere. And Jesus is saying, let them preach to you that you can cast your anxiety on him. He'll take care of you. It's an all-inclusive command. He says, don't be anxious about anything. And, you, and then what do we say? Well, can I worry about, you know, no. Well, what about No. Fill in the blank. Well, what about that? That's pretty important. No, don't be anxious about anything. It's true. We need the word of God. We need his spirit. We need good resources. I recommend again, if you, if you struggle with anxiety and worry and fear, uh, a book by Ed, Edward T. Welch, Running Scared, Fear, Worry, and the God of Rest. Great book. I picked up, I picked up a, a resource I read uh, last week or a week ago, Mental Health in Your Church. How do we as a people of God, the premise of this book was that uh, by Helen Thorne and Dr. Steve Midgley, is that can we agree that it's not okay to do nothing? And the other agreeing, uh, premise is can we agree we can't do everything? So how do we do something? You ever feel overwhelmed when you try to help someone and you don't know, what, I don't know what to do? And so you shy back and you're like, well, I don't know what to do and I'm not a professional. How do I help? And don't we want to be a church that actually, we, I know we can't solve all the problems, but don't we want to be people that like, go to the church, they'll help you. They'll do what they can. Oh, may that be us. The answer to our problem, if we are weighed down, is not to stay focused on our problem. We have to, we have to move our attention to something higher. We've got to go to the one who made the hills, maker of heaven and earth. 
The mind of a Christian is in the process of being transformed when we ask a question like, so how can I grow in trusting Christ more and leaning on him instead of doubting and questioning him? The Apostle Paul, he struggled with this. Aren't the people that are most helpful to you the people who admit that they struggle instead of the people who appear like they have it all together? I don't find much help in them. Sadly, I think, I, you know, starting out in ministry right here, I think I thought that is what people had to have is the guy who doesn't have any problems. Yeah, that's not me. But I actually find the people that have helped me the most are the people that are like, hey, here's the struggles I have. Here's how the Lord is sustaining me through these struggles. Here's how we can go in life together and grow through these. And this is what Paul said, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. When he said, Lord, can you take away the thorn? Three times, take away the thorn. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I'm weak, he's strong. I get all the grace, he gets all the glory. Fourth precept, Paul says, pray about everything. This is the antidote to our worry. He doesn't say forget it all. It doesn't matter what you're worried about. He says, let every anxiety drive you to prayer. Let every cause for concern and fear and worry and weightiness in your mind and soul, let that take you to the throne of grace. What will worry add to your life? Nothing. It will take from your life. What about praying, though? This is the antidote. Pray about Everything. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Pray about this, this little thing? Yeah, pray about that. Bring it all to the Lord. We pray about everything. We don't give thanks for everything, but in everything, we give thanks. And Peter said that in 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Do you hear that? Jesus saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Come to me, come to me. Give it to me, give it to me. Like, don't you want that person helping you when you're moving? Like, oh, I can't lift it. Well, you're not much help. And somebody else is like, can you move out of the way? I got it. I'm like, whoa, you're the right person. Yeah, this is God. He sustains everything. And he's right there, he's with us saying, give it to me. Our lives of depending on the Lord instead of depending on self. That'll bring anxiety. So he uses the word by, by prayer. It, it means the word he uses is a prayer addressed to God. It includes the prayers that are formal. You know, it includes when we gather and we pray. It includes prayers when we're quiet. Adoration. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. He is lifting our eyes up. He says supplication, deasis. It means to ask, to beg, to entreat, that we seek the Lord's face and we're in need of the help of his hand. And then he says thanksgiving. And I've told you before, and, and if you ever listen to Harrison pray and when he finishes with thanksgiving in our hearts, it comes out of this verse. It's the word where we get the Eucharist from. It, it means offering thanks. Are we thankful people? Are we thankful people? Or do we believe that everybody owes us? Do we stop and say thank you? Like, who's done what for you even today? Have you said thank you? 
to those who serve, to those who bless, thank you. The people who bring food at a restaurant or at the grocery store and you look beyond just what they're doing and you see they're struggling and you just simply say, thank you. And we're thankful people. And then he says, bring your requests. This is what we need. This is what we demand. It's, it's a word that is, Lord, this has to happen. If you don't do this, it won't happen. And we bring, and he says, bring your demands to the Lord, your requests to the Lord. And we bring them knowing that the Lord loves us and will provide all that is necessary for us in this life for godliness. He is the giver of all good gifts. Listen to what John the Apostle says in 1 John 5, 15. He says, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. I've gone to the Lord. He has my request. I'll trust him. And whatever he deems as good for his name, for his glory and my good, he will give. We can trust him in that. Well, why would we do this then? Pray about everything. Do, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Why? Why, Paul? Well, here's why. Second promise. The peace of God will guard your life in Christ. This truth, this promise goes beyond our ability to comprehend, and he says it. This just, we can't even conceive of this, the peace. It passes all understanding. It surpasses comprehension of why God knows me, loves me, cares about me. I am this little speck on this planet, and he cares about me? I don't understand that. He, he chose me. He chose to love me, a sinner. How do I explain that? I can't explain that. I can't comprehend that. And the word in the Old Testament was shalom. The word in the New Testament, irene. We get the word irene, peace. Shalom is the idea that everything is in its right place. Parents, you know what it is when you have children and they go out and they get a license and they get home and they come in and the door closed and the doors are locked and everybody's in the Everyone is in their right place. First pastor I worked for, when staff would go away for Christmas, everybody would drive back. He wanted everybody to check in. All my little eaglets are back in the nest. You know, it's, a, it's shalom. Everything is where it's supposed to be. This is the opposite of everything is out of control. Everything's chaos. This is why in our homes is there shalom. Is everything where it should be? It's the idea of get up, make your bed, put everything, the endless pillows, you know, the cover of the bed, you know, everything is where it should be. It's the idea of in the family of God, do we have this kind of where everyone, everything is exactly where they should be and we're all different shapes, sizes, backgrounds, temperaments, personalities and the Lord is like a painter. Like here, we need this person. We need that person. I need this personality. This person doesn't like to be up front. This person is amazing in the quiet, out in the back. This person, this person, he's, he's, this is his body. This is a building. This is a temple. That's, the, that's what he's saying. He gives us this. And this word for guards, it's the idea of a sentry, military, on duty, guarding a prisoner. Prisoner gets away, they take my life for that prisoner. I'm guarding the prisoner. And the peace of God, God's peace guards us. 
this peace exceeds our ability to fully comprehend it. Isaiah 26, 3 says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Oh, I love that verse. Colossians 3.15, and let the peace of Christ referee in your hearts. I'm so mad at her. She should do this, Paul. And let the peace of God referee. Let me hear your case. Let's look at the cross. Play on. Give it to the Lord. Let the peace of God, the peace of Christ, rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Be thankful. That'll change that whole, it'll change everything about our lives, moment by moment, little by little. The peace of God, it guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is our entire being. This is everything about us. This is our hearts. It's a guarded heart. That's our inner person, our feelings, our motives, our desires. A guarded mind, that's our psyche, that's our thoughts, that's where we are, what we truly love. And he says, I, I will guard you. My peace will guard you. The peace that passes all understanding. That's a pretty good promise. That's a pretty, pretty good reason to say, why, why do I have to worry then? I'm guarded by God. And I don't think he needs my help to keep the sun there. And Brian, I need some help today. The sun, you know, these galaxies. Whew, I'm getting tired, you know, these galaxies. Wise, come on, get wise. Nope, that, that email didn't come. That text didn't come. He's got it. And what, why am I worried? May my eyes be shifted higher to the higher throne. So the Christ-centered life be characterized by rejoicing, by graciousness, by victory over anxiety, and that is an increasing. I, what I, I don't want anybody to hear, like if I'm, you know, dealing with anxiety. Yeah, but there's other people dealing with greed, dealing with lust. There, there are other sins, but this is the one that often no one can see, but the Lord sees and he knows and he cares about you. So I don't want this becoming something that's separate. This is a deep concern that Paul has that he can sense in the church. You're anxious, everything's out of control. So prayer, this prayer, and why would we do this? Why would we be like this? Because the Lord is near and we're guarded by the peace of God. Think about that as you go. That'll change your life. These verses will change your life. The God of the universe, tonight, go out, look up, and the God that made all of that, I don't recommend you go out and look at the sun, okay? That's gonna be a bad deal. Don't, there'll be lawsuits. I don't know why, why he's told me to look at the sun. I'm not telling you to look at the sun, but look at the moon, the reflection of the sun, and say the God who put that there He's, he's near. He's available to me. If you don't know him as Lord and Savior, he is near to you. He is calling to you. He died for you and rose again. And he's saying, I'm near, I'm at hand. Trust him. So as we make application with this and we say, all right, Lord, knowing that you are near, will you help me to, what, what, what does that look like for you? You're right here. I'm like that little kid. Uh, panic. Oh, the Lord's right here. And, and I put in here, if I'm kept by your peace, that if you're not here in Christ, then you're not guarded by his peace. But you could be. If, if I'm kept and in Christ, we are kept. We're guarded by his peace. 
then what do we need to cast on the Lord and trust him with? Your child's moving away. Your child's working out their future plans. The economy, your, your future plans with your retirement are, seem to be shifting. Lord, help us to trust you. Got a medical issue you're dealing with? Scripture doesn't say this life will be worry-free. No problems. But it gives us the place to take our worries and our cares is to the one who cares more for you than your mama or anyone else. It's the one who made your mama and made you. Amen? Isn't this something we can do? Ooh, I'm going to hang on to that message right here. I need this, and we all need this for every day that we live. Let's stand together. Oh, God in heaven, we need these promises, Lord. We need to believe. I need to believe these promises to believe that you are right here with me. You're here wherever I go, whatever I do. And you love me and you're changing me. That your peace guards me. That your peace guards all of your children, those who are in Christ. Lord, so may I rejoice in you always. May I be gracious with everyone that I meet and share this life with. Father, will you help us? Don't let us be anxious about anything, but oh, may we pray about everything. Use us for your glory, Lord. Let us make a difference in the lives of people around us that you love more than we could possibly imagine. So use us by your spirit. Be pleasing to you. May we stand on your word and be used for your glory and the good of all peoples. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.